Good evening, Monadnock Region, and welcome to another special Jingle Bells Walking in a Winter Wonderland episode of Go Mo Tonight. Yes, this is our Christmas time episode here in the Space Lounge for the Monadnock Region's only locally focused weekly comedy podcast. I'm Chris DiLoretto here as your host in the Space Lounge here with my lovely Santa Behatted co-host. Zoe Roten-Heinzman. And we are joined by two local luminaries. We have, of course, the Honorable Jonah Wheeler, representative for Hillsborough 33. I can't believe I forget this already. 33, right? You got that right. Yep. Hillsborough 33. Welcome, Jonah. And we've also got the hardest working musician in the state of New Hampshire, Charlie Chronopolis, who's featured in our emails twice a week. Where is Charlie? Right now, Charlie is here with us in the Space Lounge. Um, and so we're all feeling very festive. Charlie's got this tree in the in the background, which he says is to compensate for um, the fact that people associate Charles with small trees. Yeah. And now it's no longer a sad Christmas in a Charlie's house. It's exactly. Exactly. Great. We, 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 2022 is, is the year that like, uh, the year of no catastrophe. Easy, bro. It ain't over, man. Yeah, not yeah, all right. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm knocking on wood here, but I really, I'm feeling it though. You know, like, I think that, I think you're in the clear. Okay. I'm here for it. We'll, we'll see well, how the power goes so far. So good. Yeah. And let's hope for a no catastrophe 2023. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. We'll keep it. We'll start a streak. Well, right. I certainly no. vote, voted for no catastrophe. So it's up to you now. I just yeah. <laughs> In a representative democracy. Yes, we, we have delegated that, you know, to our, our representative here. Hmm. That's terrible. Don't put that on me. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely catastrophes. That's what I can't, I can't no, handle. He, you can't be expected to prevent the catastrophes, but you can provide that like right. strong leadership that we need guiding us through them. Respond to the c- to catastrophe. That's right. It's all about how, yeah, exactly. Turn the catastrophe into an opportunity. Dive on that grenade like in America. That's, that's why I voted for you. Yeah. <laughs> I need my shield. There you go. <laughs> Oh yeah. So, I mean, are you guys, are you guys feeling, feeling Christmassy? Like, is are we, are we in it now? I've started to listen to Christmas music. Absolutely. Mm. It's been the first Christmas in a long time that I started to feel like, all right, here we go. I can get into it now. Like this is Christmassy. It's not too doom and gloomy. Um, so I've been loving it very much. So where, where did your Christmas sock go, Jonah? I had to take the sock off. It was a little bit unstable. And I also <laughs> just didn't know. Oh, I, well, now that you said it, maybe I should wear it. I didn't have a hat, so I put on my festive sock. So I'll it's wear that for the rest stocking. of the episode. Your stocking? My stocking, exactly. Excuse, <laughs> excuse me, it's not a sock. I don't have the, the pair to this, so it is a stocking at the moment. It is. It's <laughs> when, it's when only you're re- representative of Christmas. <laughs> You're done with this episode. You can just hang it. Yeah, I will. And then I'll take a picture. Built. I'll take a picture a year from now to prove it's like Chris will wear his captain hat all year that I've hung it up all year. So it is officially a stock. 
Mm. Got it right here just to prove that I, I do, in fact, wear it all the time. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've seen you. I've, I watched the episodes. You're wearing it. You're wearing it pretty often. Yep. Now yep. that's a hat. Charlie's got the Christmas stats. Charlie was wearing that at the Lantern Festival, and I was I immediately pointed him out. I was like, oh, that's Charlie right there. He was wearing his hat. Um, yeah, that's and that, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually how this episode came together. Because like all of a sudden, like Jonah, like you appeared on one side, and like we're walking along, and, like a few steps later, like there's Charlie. He appears right. from like the other side, and I'm like, man, wouldn't it be great to have Charlie? Zoe was like walking really fast, so she was like way up ahead, and um, I was chasing children. Yeah, I was yeah, it, wasn't, it wasn't her fault. Um, <laughs> But like, I was like, man, this would be great if we had both of these guys on the show um, for like a Christmas episode. So that planted the seed in my head. And, um, and it just happened that schedules aligned and we were able to, to put this together. So I'm, I'm nice. happy. Yeah. We meet again, Jonah. Nothing says go, the Charlie, holidays absolutely. like Charlie and Jonah in the same place. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is the present to the listeners of Go Banad Nog, you know. That's exactly right. That's, and so, yeah, I mean, and to that point as well, you know, we've been promising like two episodes ago, we were like, we're going to have a Christmas episode. And it ended up mostly being like yelling about Ivy Van and that article that was out there. And then the next, you know, so we're recording this on uh, the 15th, the Ides of December, um, which don't, you don't need to beware. Um, it's, it's just a regular day. Um, and um, it's, you know, Thursday night. It's snowing outside. Our first, like, actual storm of the year is upon us. But tomorrow in real life, and this will be a few days ago by the time you hear it, um, the next episode will come out. Now, that episode, I think we can say, Zoe, was fairly holiday-oriented, right? Like, we were... We, we wore the hats. I don't remember what we talked about. Yeah, I think we were, we kept it light. Like we didn't go into yeah. any serious issues um, or anything like that. Any, you know, conspiracies about Banksy or any, the dog or anything like that. But no, um, um, no we always promise never to talk about Banksy the dog on here. Um, but um, so this is, this is our second episode of, of no, no heaviness, you know, we're, we're, we're just keeping it light and chill and we're going to talk about all the things that make Christmas Christmas. And, you know, to start off, I told these guys, I was going to ask them, um, for a favorite Christmas song. So, um, so Jonah, why don't you start? What's your favorite Christmas song? Well, I have a, so many favorite Christmas songs and I know this is such as like a politician answer, so I apologize, but so, but I have so many favorite Christmas songs. You're good songs. at this already. It's Very natural. <laughs> I've been good at it for a long time. I'm one of those viewers <laughs> since birth kind of people. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, but my favorite Christmas song right now, I'd say, although I think it's kind of corny, is Last Christmas by um, uh, whoever it's by. Last Boy, Christmas. Oh, yeah. The, the like last Christmas I gave you my heart. The well, very next nice day you Christmas. gave it away. Uh, good. Wow, I've never heard anyone call that their favorite. That's my least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like a such a. Uh, I like that. No, but there great. are so yeah. many. There's so many good Christmas songs out there. A lot of them I don't know the name of because they're just played on those Christmas playlists that you put on. And I love Christmas music. Last Christmas just. So everyone's aware was originally written um, and performed by um, the British pop duo Wham with an exclamation. Wham! I almost said Wham, but that just didn't sound right. Yeah, that's that's what it is in December 1984. 
Um, so my first Christmas, it's, they wrote this song. Um, so my, yeah, very nice. My first Christmas as well. Nice. Yes, our first Christmas, I, right? Yeah, I was I was one day old. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's kind of cool. Wow. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Last Christmas brought you here. Yeah. Yeah. Last Christmas was my first Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Very special. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, I think Jonah means like that's when you were conceived-ish. You know, like. No, no, no. no. I mean, last Christmas was like the spirit and the energy right. that brought her into this world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Accurate. I think. Yeah. That yeah. would have been. That would have been a twelve-month pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know. <laughs> that, that, that spirit made it to March, though. I think, <laughs> you know, like that, the cycle of the year. Like that's you know that these things are you know that are born at the at the solstice time, like creep and grow through the winter. You know, that you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah. So that's where you so came from. Your favorite Christmas song, Chris. My favorite Christmas song. So, I mean, like you though, I have, I have many favorites, but you know, probably the one that I have to come down to this year and like most years these days is, um, do you hear what I hear? Um, and I like the song, but, um, and I, and I liked it even before I knew the story of how it was written, but it was actually written in October of 1962 in New York city in the middle of the Cuban missile crisis. And, the authors of the song, um, the guy who wrote the lyrics was inspired um, by like seeing babies pushed in strollers like down the street and like, you know, thinking about like annihilation. And um, and so like if you actually look at the lyrics, like the um, like the song that they hear is this this like a roar as big as the sea and like the the. Um, the star has a tail as big as a kite and like it, it actually evokes like, you know, like a missile coming down, like just as much as it does this positive symbol. And um, yeah, you know, I mean, like they were kind of like looking at um, looking at the worlds and looking at this situation and saying like, well, absent, like basically like divine intervention, we're all fucked. And that's where the song comes from. And you know, I think at the time that I learned that I had also recently learned quite a bit about like Kennedy and Khrushchev and like how if they were here to talk with us, like they might tell us that like only divine intervention saved us all because like neither of them at the time was in any way certain that they could like constrain their own people from starting this war. Like, um, so yeah, so I think it's a, it's a poignant song and it, um, you know, really speaks to the the true message of Christmas. And Zoe, what is your favorite Christmas? Oh, I, I, Charlie needs to go first. No, oh, did he He's not go guest. yet? No, okay. Charlie isn't. Yeah, oh. yeah, we'll let the guests go first, yeah. I apologize. Uh, you started talking about last Christmas, and then I, you know. yeah. Yeah, 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 no, no, it, it's cool. It just flowed from there. I, I'm, still, I'm still on Chris's answer, though, because, like, the sleigh as like a rocket flying and like a tail and that, that whole night. That's crazy. That's actually a pretty crazy story. Yeah. It's kind of cool, right? <laughs> it's wild. Um, yeah. It's also interesting too, just to think about like, I know there's something currently happening uh, where there's information under the CIA file about uh, the Kennedy assassination and then this idea that we're like in another situation with Russia again, it's just, it's, it's, 
it's definitely interesting. It's fitting, um, isn't it? You know, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. It's true. Uh, this we, is very true. How we respond is important. My answer is uh, really just totally in the in this. There's no, there's no like like wild tie-in. I just really love Bing's voice and um, White Christmas by Bing Crosby is the end all be all for me. It's like, as a bass vocalist, it's just like that song just puts me in the space. I'm here for it. Love it. Yeah. No drama, nothing. Just pure Christmas. Yeah. Pure old Christmas right there. I like it. Sorry. That's a very silly answer, but I, no, 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 it's a great answer. That's a great answer. Um, Because there's that, I mean, if you watch the movie too, um, you know, whatever about his whole like person. I know he's one of those like, like he's one of those guys that like outside of the camera. Like I think there's a lot of nasty, nasty business going on. He wasn't like the best, but his voice. Ding? Yeah, yeah. There's a no, lot. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, sure. You know, you know. Everybody you, was a little nasty back then. You don't know. You don't know. But the song, oh my gosh, man, just, yeah, all the troops resting and him just laying that one out there. It was like it's such a beautiful song. So. Um, you know, th- you mentioned the troops, and um, I don't mean to delay you, Zoe. This is just a quick little anecdote. But I was looking up um, the song um, I'll Be Home for Christmas, mm-hmm. um, which was written during World War II. And was, um, you know, performed for the troops. But I found this fact really curious that um, so it was hugely popular among American troops. And like the American brass was like, I mean, there was some quote from like some general being like, I don't think there's anything in the course of the entire war that improved American troop morale more than I'll be home for Christmas. Mm. Um, Right. The British banned the song because they said it would be bad for troop morale. And they refused to have it played or to like let their like the British World War II troops even know about it, um, which I thought that was like an interesting distinction between like America and Britain. Mm, stiff upper lip. Stiff upper lip. I mean, like talk about stiff upper lip. Like that's like a great example. You know, like you cannot hear this Christmas song. Like don't even think about going home. Like this is you're in, you're in war, buddy. You know. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I might. You might get home for Christmas. Is the English version right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> kind of weird, though. I mean, you wouldn't want to give them the hope of coming home, and hmm. it wasn't their way. I guess it wasn't there. A lot. There's not a lot of hope over there in the old London town. <sighs> they're they're a dour bunch. Those Brits. It's their the diet. Tea. all right how about you though zoe for real what what is your favorite christmas song it is it is really hard to just pick one um my favorite i think i think like really old-fashioned christmas carols tend to be my favorite though like my favorite Mm -hmm. when i was a kid was like the first Noel. I just like, that's the first Christmas song I really remember loving. I just like, I think I was like six and I was just like, man, this song, I just love this, you know? Um, But I like, I like a lot of weird, like minor key old Christmas carols. There's like this French one called Noel Nouvelle that's like stuck in my head all the time. Um, 
I don't know that one. I have to check that you, out. I think you do. I think you've heard. I think you would recognize it. It's like a Rebels one. It's like. Oh yeah. Oh, I definitely know that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I like that song. Singing in French. No. Yeah. No. Right on. Yeah. I like that song a lot. Actually. Yeah. That's really cool. I yeah. I just like I like old carols. I guess. Yeah. Now, Charlie or Jonah, are either of you familiar with the Revels? Well, just if I could change my answer really quickly. Speaking of old carols, I like Silent Night, and that is what I'm. That's my very good Okay, I could throw a little bit of history at you on that one, Jonah. Okay, so, um, that was written on guitar by in, in Germany, and it was actually Stille Nacht. And it was like a last minute thing for a program. I think it was like in the 1600s that this like, not a monk, but some, you know, it was obviously a pretty devout, like, this is what I do. I just do Jesus work all day. Um, kind of guy. And, and, and yeah, so silent night was a stille Nacht, Heilige Nacht, Mother Schlaft, Einsam Wacht. I know it all from, from a chorus. Class Everything and, sounds so much less pretty in German. Oh, it's so not. Actually, if you had to gosh. tune to it, it could be nice. When I was in Germany, I was like getting mad when I would like learn the words for stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, why is why is why that is- the word for vegetables? Like, how can you take the word vegetables and like turn it into this like how ugly can you word? Think, of it, think about this, the uh, essence right. of the thing, and make it this sound like. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think vegetables is like gemüse or something. I'm just like, why? Why would you look at this and call it that? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry oh, if you're a no, German, that's that's German lover, Charlie. I don't, I, I mean, I just knew that one song. I just knew that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not here to defend. Like, I'm not to hate on you, German lover. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> easy, easy. I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a face mask and be Kanye the rest of this interview. <laughs> well, the other the, a couple episodes ago, I was threatening to put on my my Putin mask wherever that is. Oh no, that would be terrible. Yeah, I got that a while before it was all that controversial honestly i've had that okay. thing for many years but it does sit around behind my desk typically although i don't know where it is right now because was it clover or was it sylvie who like put it on and was running around my house the other night <laughs> yeah it might have been both of them yeah all of a sudden we're like sitting around the table upstairs like having a good time like the adults and like one of the little girls like runs up and into the room wearing vladimir putin on her face and like all the other kids are running behind her giggling it was pretty hilarious <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, all right. They found the Putin mask. Um. Jeez. So the minor old school Christmas tunes, though, Zoe, are definitely a vibe. Like uh, on guitar, especially like I love that, um, you know, that just like kind of like harmonic minor, like E minor, like uh, O Come O Come Emmanuel, just the gravity of it all. those Those are very haunting, especially like I remember my grandmother used to take we go to the christmas eve service and she would take the candle that we were all light she'd keep it lit and on the ride home she would keep it lit and i remember like kind of crossing like the you know the moon on the snow and just like grandma with a candle lit and hearing like that in my head that's being, cool like, everything is holy and i'm awesome i don't know <laughs> I mean, i'm gonna get yeah no but no yeah, that's that's, that's the right feeling i think though yeah that's you know you're right thing. yeah 
absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah and you know, I think that um, any of those songs that go back to um, like the Renaissance or medieval time period when played on uh, solo guitar, you know, like really, oh, yeah. they, they really capture that vibe, you know, maybe not so much medieval because most of that stuff is vocal only, you know, but um, like the Renaissance period, um, you, there's so many things that work really well on like a solo guitar. Mm. Cat guts. That's what the strings are made of back then. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, they would string the guts of a kitten over like a loot, like a hollowed out. You know, that's how they that's how they got strings back in back in those days. I'm always grateful for there the isn't anything out better than cat guts to make guitar strings out of. That's well, what that's what I mean. Is that like I'm always grateful for these people in the past who were like, you know what? Let's try the cat guts. Yeah, let's you have to work, succeed. You know? Absolutely, yeah. Let's, yeah like, let's, let's actually like make the wooden thing and like let's string it up and see what happens and jonah you know. maybe they tried other animals too yeah. well, sure error. Cat. Just, the cat cat guts just have that exact right like yeah. tension yeah. in them yeah. to yeah. <laughs> derive that's, the note that's from. what surprised me is like you cat guts have the tension to be able to hold up when you're drinking and then do do like it's like a, a rubber thing that doesn't it, make you know it checks out but imagine cat guts just sort of tear apart when you, i mean <laughs> I don't, not that I know much about cat guts, but no, no. I mean, it's disgusting, but it, like, apparently it worked. But I'm uh, with you. I would think that, the, you know, you, you would, you could rip them, you know? Um, so it's interesting yeah. that they're I still. I mean, like, you, you would dry them, I'm guessing. Like, they mm. wouldn't be just like, <laughs> wet. Right? But that like, makes them even more snappable. That's what it? I was just thinking. I'm like, yeah, then they're dry. And then you're going to be like, you know, um, like, well, I like, don't know. Think about, like, I never played with a lot casing. of intestines. So, like, I don't know. Like you a know? sausage casing. They would have been. Mm familiar That's with true them. sausage casings are pretty serious yeah yeah all right i get so mad at the people who say i was born in the wrong generation because no the fuck you were not we're talking about <laughs> people making cat gut guitars and yeah stuff. right yeah no, you're like ah, i was born at the right time <laughs> <laughs> you're happy for plastic people were wacky back then that's for sure yeah. they sure were they sure were yeah no they made, they made Incredible songs, though, and that's just the fact. Yeah, but I love, I love that, I love that image of your grandmother, Charlie, and that's really cool. Yeah, that is cool. Amazing. Um, I, I always wanted to go to a midnight Christmas service, like, e like for my birthday, which is mm -hmm. Christmas Eve. Like that is what I wanted to do, and I would like beg my parents and be like, "Take me to church at midnight." I never got to go, but so mm -hmm. now I'm like. Living it through Charlie's grandmother, another image to add to my like. This <laughs> year, though. This year is the plan, yeah. The year. Well, if nothing else, like you light a candle and drive around. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, there, there's just something like cool about like, taking that, that, that communal flame like home and then lighting a candle with it. It's like the fire just like, traveled, you know? It's, it's like. It's, it's like a pretty little image of I don't know, just like a, like a like a. There's a couple of Christmas movies that I watch. Like actually, while we're on the subject, I wouldn't mind knowing uh, what people's favorite Christmas movie is because mine is mm -hmm. Mickey's, Mickey's Christmas Carol. Oh God, I've been I've been like posting and like talking about that all over the place. Like, um, yeah, I brought that up. Like, I, I've been pumping that one hard, man. Yeah, good. I'm glad you brought that up. What do you like about it? I mean, I, I know every single, like, not every, not just every, like, 
like word in it, but how it's said and in the voice mm-hmm. that it's said in. Um, I'm a bit of a nuisance to watch it with, uh, but I don't know, man. It just it. There's just a few. I mean, growing up in the '80s. I mean, I'm old. I'm 40. Like it was just like there wasn't a whole lot of like comfort on television. Like '80s TV programming for kids was de- like demoralizing. We had never-ending story. <laughs> we had like the labyrinth. We just had like really depressing shit. Yeah, that, yeah, that's kind of true. That movie was just like wholesome as fuck. And I don't know if you can swear on here, sorry. And yeah, you can. I, yeah, no, you can. It's cool. I just, I just, man, like it just warms the cockles of my heart. I love that fucking movie. So I'm not mad. Yeah, about well, so like, because so the reason I I posted about it, and it's because like, so here's the thing, right? Like I literally, and I swear, and I had to keep insisting this, like I have nothing against a Muppet Christmas Carol. I think it's fine. I like Michael Caine. That's it's great. Like Muppets are cool and stuff, but like it gets all the love like Muppet Christmas Carol gets every, like everybody loves it and all this stuff. And I feel like Mickey's Christmas Carol is forgotten a little bit, you know? And I like it better because um, first of all, it is 26 minutes long and it hits all the major beats of the story. Right. Mm-hmm. And it gets all the emotional, all the emotions exactly correct. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, like this is, this is, I feel the same way about the animated Hobbit movie that was made six years before this, but there was, there was this way of writing like concise animated stories where every line matters. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's nothing said and that there's nothing shown that like doesn't, drive it along. You have to when it's that short, you know, and when you're trying to actually tell all of that, you know, in that amount of space. Right. And so there's that. Right. Um, but there's the music like that song that they play at the beginning and the end. Um, Oh, what a Merry Christmas day. I think it's called. Um, Mm -hmm. it just gets me every time. And, um, but then there's a couple other little details where, um, like, you know, so it's the same story. We see all, we see the same scenes in like every adaptation, right? But that version of the Ghost of Christmas Past when they go to old Fezziwigs and they're having a party, mm. that scene is why I have a Christmas party to this day because I liked it so much when I was a kid and I was like, I want to do that. Like, you know, like I, I want to be like old Fezziwig in this story and like have this party that everybody comes and like even Scrooge is a good man at it, you know, like, yeah. um, it's just very effective, I think, and um, it gets my heart changed. So yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up, Jonah. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Uh, I mean, it's just one of those things where there's so many good Christmas movies where it's really hard to choose. But my favorite Christmas, I mean, we just watched National Lampoon's Christmas last night, and that is common favorite. Can't see blind, can you, Ross? <laughs> Shatters fall. You know, there's just so many great lines in that movie, and it's also just great. Like the the whole thing is just like it's a well made movie. Um, I had actually not seen that in a long time, but I was laughing pretty hard. That's a, definitely a good one. On the topic of Christmas carols, I have to defend Muppets Christmas Carol because it's just the better Christmas Carol movie in my in my opinion. I mean, I've never seen Mickey's Christmas, but. Also, a very common opinion I found. But I think you do have to see, you do have to see Mickey's one. I mean, but I mean, better Christmas Carol amongst all the Christmas Carols. So I've never seen Mickey's, but I've seen a lot of the Christmas Carols, and the Muppets definitely tops them for me. So I'll watch Mickey's. Maybe it's better. But I check it out. 
it's, but it's, I, it's worth checking out anyways. I yeah. Like I said, nothing against Muppet. It's good. It is good. I don't have any objections Michael to Caine, it. Just another one more. Muppets. I mean, I have maybe just a, a special place in my heart for the Muppets. I mean, I grew up with the Muppets on VHS, like the Muppets from Space and Muppets from Move the Muppets movie and just the song. I, so I like the Muppets a lot. Um, and our whole family does, an extended family does. But the my movie itself is absolutely good. Michael Caine is an undeniably amazing actor, and the he's fact a that great he, guy. yeah, I like, I like, he, I was like, his like full Caine. being into the movie is what makes it so right. great. He really does just like put his in, his full self into it, and that's that's what I think. So that's that's my favorite Christmas movie, National Lampoon's, and Christmas Carol is the best Christmas Carol. Z, what do you got? Well, no. All right, all right. So, favorite is hard. Favorite is hard. There's two that I don't feel like the season is complete if I haven't seen. Die okay. No, <laughs> I don't think that counts. No. Um, <laughs> but I don't. I don't feel like. I can get through the Christmas season without watching Rudolph. Like mm-hmm. it's an obvious choice, but no one has it said is it a yet. favorite of mine. So I'm Absolutely. Gonna, I'm gonna put it out there. And then this is one that I really didn't want to like. I feel like we talked about this on the Christmas show last year. I did not want to like this movie. Um, but now it's like I have to watch it every year, and that's the family stone. That's a good one. Yeah, when my mom yeah. was like, let's watch this. Like, just by the cover, I was like, this is going to suck. Same here. I was like, this is so dumb. Like, there's no way this movie's good. Um, and yeah. it actually, it's rather charming. And I like it's the story. Charming. Yeah. And I like, I love Diane Keaton in that movie. And she's like, I want to be like her when I'm old. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's great in it. And um, I'm not a big fan of the Wilson brothers, typically. Um and I forget which one of them is in that movie, but he does, but he pisses me off less than he usually does. So yeah. there was that. And then, um, um, I mean, Claire Danes, I love Claire Danes too. Yep. Claire Danes. And, um, who's the young sister? Um, Amy Adams, Amy Adams. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good, yeah, it's a good, it's a good cast and there's weird quirky shit throughout it. You know, Yeah, it's just, it's um, just sweet. Yeah. Yeah, never seen it. I'll give it a watch. It it is. It's better than it looks on the cover. Um, it's it's unique. It's a different. It's a different kind of story. Like it doesn't go like where you think. You know what I mean? Like where you assume it's going to go based on the cover. Like, for sure. Um, my so-called Christmas. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the Christmas episode of my so-called life is like the worst episode of that show. I don't know if you. It's like the weird one with the weird angel. It's just, it's bizarre. I, I couldn't, I couldn't go that deep. I, I, I do remember the show. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't remember that either. Um, but do you all have favorite Christmas specials from the TV shows, though. Wait, 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 wait. Chris has to do his favorite movie. Oh, oh um, how do I yeah. keep doing that every time? <laughs> that's, uh, that's all you right. Guys, we we'll, we can go on to like Christmas episodes. episodes after this, though, because that's an interesting question. I have to think about that a little bit more. But um, so yeah, I have to watch Rudolph. That's a, that's a must. Mickey's Christmas Carol is a t- is another top one for me. Um, 
it hasn't been spoken of, but I mean, Charlie Brown Christmas is a, is a huge favorite of mine, like among the obvious choices, you know, I do have to watch that um, at least once every year, but I actually think that my favorite is probably Christmas Eve on Sesame street from, I think it's 1979 or so. Um, because um, so it's like an hour long special. So 1978, uh, I was just looking it up. And it's so it's an it's an hour long um, Christmas special, you know, late seventies Sesame Street with all of those sorts of characters, you know, and so there's no Elmo, you know, there's no like none of the things that came came much later. Mister Hooper, the owner of the store, is still alive, um, and you know, so it's real old school Sesame Street, and they there's some really great songs in it. Um, Oscar the Grouch has an absolutely hilarious song called I Hate Christmas. Um, that's just, it's a very well written song and it's hysterical that they actually threw this. It's like the kind of thing that they don't stick in kids' movies anymore. Like, um, it's just an unabashed hatred of Christmas song um, that's hilarious. And they, you know, they got a good um, Feliz Navidad at the beginning, which is another good one. But they have, um, you know, a song about, you know, called True Blue Miracle about the, um, about, about the feelings that we get at Christmas time being a miracle in themselves. And like how there's another song called keep Christmas with you um, where it's just like, you know, you keep the spirit of Christmas with you the whole year. Like remember how, how you feel right now, like take this with you kind of thing, a good message. And to top it off a good message, I mean, a good version of um, have yourself a merry little Christmas, which is another good um, Christmas song that I like, but mm. In the middle of it, like the main plot is this weird, this weird plot where like Oscar, just to be a dick, tells Big Bird that like Santa can't bring anybody presents because there's no way that he can go down the chimney. He's fat. Like he can't do it. And so Big Bird and like Kermit and like a bunch of they go on this like quest to like try to figure out like how this could be possible and all this stuff. And that's cool. And that's like quirky and weird and funny. And there's some funny moments there. But there's a subplot that's the best, which is like um, are you guys familiar with the O. Henry short story, The Gifts of the Magi? No. It's this classic short story where, um, and you know, it's like a hundred years old, so I'm not spoiling anything for anybody, but it's it's at Christmas time, and it's this, you know, young, super poor couple um, at Christmas, and the girl um, cuts off her hair and sells it and uses the money to buy um, her husband a chain for his pocket watch. And the husband goes and sells the pocket watch to get money for his wife to have like ribbons or like um, yeah, something yeah. for her hair. It's like a comb. And, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, a comb. Yeah. Like a, a really nice, really nice comb though, you know? And it, um, they retell that story with Bert and Ernie and um, like Bert, sells his paperclip collection to get Ernie a soap dish for his rubber ducky and Ernie sells his rubber ducky um, to get Bert a cigar box for his paperclip collection. And um, it's very sweet. And in this version of the story, Mr. Hooper um, shows up at their house and is like, here's your, here's your shit back. Like you guys are so great and you understand what love is. So like you should have all of this, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a very nice, um, special that um also doesn't get that much but that one i think is available in full on youtube um so it's it's really easily accessible hmm. definitely worth the magi is, 
it's such a heartbreaking little anecdote though. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's, you know, to just, two people who would truly give their most prized possession, you know, for the happiness of the other. Hmm. And yet the end of the story, the point is, is that now, but I, I just, it just galls me because now they're both stuck with it. With the yeah, they're, they're right. It's, it's, it's not necessarily the, a happy ending really, no, you know, it's, it's very bittersweet. It's like they, you know, they've like just demonstrated their love like utterly. And yet they, you know, they've both lost, but you know, I think we can imagine though that they um, went on in happiness in life. You know, the hair, the hair would grow back, you know, maybe, the guy made more money over time and could get himself a pocket, a, a, a better watch, you know? Um, I don't know. Like if you have a foundation like that, like even, even poverty, you can um, overcome, I think. I mean, it's not, not overcome, but like you can, um, you know, it, it gets you through, I guess. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, pov- uh, some of the happiest people I know live in poverty, you know, it's, it's not, so yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's a, I mean you you, but again, it's just like, god damn it! Like that one just galled me. That one kept me up at night. Hearing like, oh, he bought her a comb and she cut her hair. It's like ah. Oh. Like, but I, like don't, I don't, I don't feel like. I mean, if if that happened to you, would you feel like, oh, I'm stuck with this useless thing, or would it be like this token of love? Like yeah, I'd be like, holy shit, my wife really loves me. Like this is like, look what she even did. If you couldn't you know? use it right then. Like yeah. it would still like right. have that. Yeah, it would still matter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could still comb like your pit hair or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and the, the hair, like her, like at least, at least in her case, like his watch is gone or whatever, but like her hair will grow back and she'll be able to use the comb. Right. You and know? Time, time still passes. So. Time still passes. Time still passes. Yeah. So I thought, so I like that. I like that a lot with, um, you know, TV's first gay couple, Bert and Ernie. And their true love. And their true love. Yeah. So, no, go ahead, Charlie. No, I, I guess I guess you're right. I guess they're the first because I was thinking of perfect strangers, but they're cousins, so never mind. Right, right, right. Presumably not in a physical relationship, but I you mean, know. they could have been like the first interfamily relationship, but. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking down multiple boundaries in that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I always, I mean, it's just kind of funny the way that they, Sesame Street sort of did that, you know, because I mean, like, there's nothing, there's nothing untoward about the two, like, there's no, like, innuendos being passed back and forth, you know, like, they're just, like, two dudes who, like, live together and, like, clearly love each other in some way, and they never felt the need to explain that in any way, because it's just, like, you know, kind of a thing that happens, you know, and, like, I, I, I think that that's a, um, that's a good way to approach such a thing, especially in that, in that time. Yeah, no, generally it's definitely makes things simpler. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, and they did that with a lot of things. They did that with, um, like a a mixed race neighborhood. They did that with like deaf people and stuff like that. They just like, they were just like, yeah, like there's this like, yeah, she just she does sign language because she's did, yeah, like depression, right? Because Big Bird was such a bummer, like he literally had like clinical depression. I guess that's. I guess that. I guess you could. Say, I never really thought about that, but yeah, like Big Bird is kind of bummed all Big the time. Big Bird's a summer bummer the whole time. It's like, oh, yeah. that guy needs 
guy needs wait, to wait. Do you have like a Sesame Street theory, like the Gilligan's Island thing? Have you heard this? Where like each of the Gilligan's Island characters is like one of the seven deadly sins? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't know that about Gilligan's Island or Sesame Street. Honestly, well, no, I mean, I don't, maybe Charlie has one. Like every Sesame Street character is like a different mental illness or something. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Snuffleupagus <laughs> is. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I could probably pick a mental illness for one of the characters. Grouch is the anger. The that yeah. Grouch is the one in the it's trash. Like, like re- what is it called? Like reactive and attachment syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> like, El- Elmo has borderline personality disorder <laughs> and um, yeah I don't know I, I feel like uh, but I just definitely think Big Bird was depressed like there's he was he was depressed even just like when he walks in it's like wah, wah, wah. it's the saddest <laughs> shit it's like oh like uh, even the theme song was a bummer that's what I mean. Like, the only thing we had was Mickey's Christmas Carol. Everything was so sad in the 80s. What yeah. Never-ending story. The nothing is consuming everything. I like the never-ending story. But the never-ending story is like existential. I agree. But don't you think when a white horse is just sinking into quicksand, which I thought was a way bigger deal than it turned out to be in life, by the way. I thought quicksand was everywhere. <laughs> And I needed to watch out for it. Like that was the thing in the eighties. It was in every movie, but like the horse just sinks into this shit and he doesn't get out and then he dies. And then the rest of my life is, is, is kind of like, Oh, that's how it goes. Yeah. Right. 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 That's like the impression that you're left with. Yeah, totally. Totally. (laughs) There was a lot of that. I feel like, but there's also a lot of like, you should be, courageous and you know live with integrity and you know like there's a lot of heroic heroic nature to it i mean i don't know like this i think you're undercutting the never-ending story I mean, but that's of- why i voted for you like i i don't see because <laughs> you see the good in people <laughs> oh i just like the the rock monster he's like eating rocks all the time that's awesome. That's an awesome movie. You know, it's great. Well, you know, I I will say this though is that like I do think that that kind of like nuance, like maybe a little bit of darkness that was in the kids stuff of that time, um, might have been a little bit more helpful than I think the right. more saccharine stuff that came later. Though you know, because I mean, it really, I mean, at least that's interesting. You know, and um, like even for a kid, I think you know that 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 that, that sort of thing is. Not darkness in and of itself, you know, but like having like the like real mortal danger, say, and not necessarily a happy ending for everybody. And like, you know, it's like a little bit grayer, like a little bit, you know, like sort of introduces them to reality a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, you can like a kid can latch on to the wrong parts and be like, yeah, that's how it is, man. It's dark, you know, like, like, I mean, I was 10 when, um. I was, you know, my parents were very strict with movies. This is not a kid's movie. Um, you know, not a lot, you know, 10 years old, like not a lot of like even PG 13 movies, definitely not rated R. I mean, like technically I don't think my parents lifted the rated R prohibition until I like left the house, you know, even though like it was, it was unenforced, you know, for years, um, before my exit. But, um, when I was 10, they let me watch the movie JFK 
um, even though it was rated R, because they were like, well, you know, it's historical, and he's really into Kennedy, so we'll let him watch it, you know? The and then I, like, I watched this movie, and like... Your 10-year-old into Kennedy in the 80s? In the uh, I wasn't... It was... Uh, it would have been 1994 by then. In 1994, um, you were 10 and interested in JFK. I, I Yes. Correct. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> yes and i and, and i was fascinated by the fact that like he was assassinated and like was like just very interested in in yeah anything related to like kennedy and uh, i was into a lot of bizarre things but that was one of them and so they were like yeah you can watch this movie and like they don't even watch it with me you know like and they've never seen it so they don't know what's in it you know and so i'm just like watching this movie and i'm like you know i'm watching joe pesci i don't know if you guys have seen it but i'm watching like joe pesci like have this like f-bomb flip out with this crazy wig and like all this stuff but like i come away from this movie being like did you guys know that the cia killed the president like like how come nobody told me this like it's in this movie like you know like like and that was what I took away and was like that's how the world is and like went, went away from that from that point onward. So yeah, you can latch on to certain things, um, you know. And so I wouldn't recommend putting all that in a kids movie. There's there's um, <laughs> yeah, maybe don't show them an Oliver Stone movie. <laughs> yeah, maybe not unless they're really ready for it though. You know, like so. I mean, I should say I I have showed my kids the. Um, documentary series the untold history of the united states they've seen parts of that um which that is, is all a good documentary stone. series by oliver stone and that's actually really really good um and it's not you know um too bad for children i don't think i mean it's a, it's all war and destruction and stuff but i like i like stone's um like view of the world in like ways that it could go right kind of thing you know um, he's a, he's a, he's a guy who presents, um, like the, the dark side of everything, but like underlying it, he has this optimism about Absolutely. like, like there, he's like, he's like, there's always like these good people, Mr. Rogers might call them helpers, but not, I'm just kidding. Um, the, um, he, he always presents it like, no, there is, there is, there's people, even if they're losing who are like still like standing for like good and freedom and, and against oppression and war and things like that. And, um, you know, I, I like that about him that he, he retains that even as he presents like very dark, very negative things. Like you can tell that like deep down he, he has hope for humanity, you know, well, because he knows that there are out there fighting for good, even if they're losing. And I think sometimes they win and it's like, and then it's, they're they're out there and uh, like the the attorney general in his movie he's got his heroes he's got his optimists and i love it i like i love oliver stone too i think yeah great director it's not just that he has a message it's that he's a good director too he makes he is a good, very well. talented director so it's it's well his the message is put across on a good medium yeah, I mean, not very Christmassy, but I will just throw this out there before we, you know, get back to the appropriate topic. But his his um, movie Nixon uh, Nixon was um, Shakespearean in its portrayal of of a guy that, like, you know, Oliver Stone hated him, you know, and like he made this beautiful movie of this like this like moving portrait of a very human, flawed guy. You know, well, the Nixon story is just simply Shakespearean. He is a tragic. It is. Yeah, and it's um, it's just I mean, awesome. You can be wrong not to do it that way. Elaborate a little bit. What do you mean? It's Shakespearean. 
Well, he's his like his rise from poverty to the presidency, his sort of his whole nature. I mean, I think he, he was like a very uh, powerful and independent person who really had his own view of the world, and and that reflected in in his presidency. I mean, he did not all bad things. I mean, Nixon was one of those Republicans who was out there. He, he was the last bastion of the FDR sort of era, uh, where he was really did believe, I think, in a social safety net and, and the FDR policies. After him, I think we've had uh, nothing but people who are, are moving us towards neoliberalism. So I, I respect Nixon on that end. Um, of course, he did spy, but he, he he had his he had his character, and he was such a he was such a character, and it was it was Shakespearean in, in his his rise, uh, and in the way that happened in his well, sort it's, of. It's, it's also the fact that like he presents it like Nixon was also a man who was um, always so definitely important, like to see his rise from poverty, you know, because he's not this typical wasp, you know, who comes from, you know, who, who comes from some sort of Connecticut blue blood family or something like that, you know, like he grows up poor in California, but he's always seeking approval that he doesn't get like often from like, you know, like from like his, his mother and father and from like, he really his his wife kind of like you, you, you always feel like he's, he's trying to get her approval and never, quite really getting it, you know? And, you know, even the fact that like he lost so many times before he won, you know, and he, and he wins and he gets power, but he can't quite do what he wants with it, you know? And he, and he goes down in disgrace in the end, even though like there was a certain sincerity with which he approached even the things that got him in trouble, you know? Um, and, so yeah, so that's kind of like this, like he's really presented as a tragic figure, you know, as as someone who's who's not an evil villain, you know, but someone who was fundamentally flawed, had a lot of bad fate, which is very Shakespearean slash even like Greek tragic, you know. Um, there's a lot of fate at play in his story, and yeah, he just he just couldn't really get it at the end. But yeah, I mean, like you said, Jonah, like. It's weird to think well, about Nixon, like, you know, starting the EPA and like, you know, opened up relations with China and um, exactly. almost um, started universal health care, like. Um, but, well, all while at the same time listening to Henry Kissinger and, 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 yeah. and <laughs> you know, brutalizing people across the world. I mean, he really is a, a, a quite a dynamic and interesting figure. And he's like American presidents. Today, I think just aren't the same. They they have they have more of a, a, a sadistic nature to them on both sides, and that's such a, a Nixon represents. I think the last version of of this is a, you might have been an evil politician, but you're someone I believe in in what I do, and I don't. I'm not sure the people politicians today mm. believe. Well, yeah, I think that there's a certain cynicism that's like universal now um, among the presidents in terms of like. N knowing you can't really change anything and like you you know this is this is the game and this is the system and this is the world and this is how we're going to play it whereas i do think i do see in somebody like nixon somebody who like i said like 
you know, like you said, you know, he, he horrible foreign policy in some ways. I mean, granted, he did inherit the war, um, but like, you know, doesn't doesn't just end it, doesn't scale it back in increases it, you know, like bombs Cambodia, like, you know, does, you know, it drastically accelerates it and does like all of these awful things. But like, you also know that like, he actually did believe that that, that there was um like positive change that could be done in the world in 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 the in this like broader sense you know and that like as a president he could he could make his mark and like he could drive things in a certain direction and like i don't know if anybody believes that anymore i do no <laughs> i know i know exactly well that hey as as charlie keeps saying that's why we that's why we all voted for you no, but there are a lot of people it's not just me that's why i ran because there are a lot of people out there who i think politicians i don't think yeah but the people are, who make it to the presidential level almost never do now there's a filtering almost. mechanism that prevents you from getting up that high. right well it's just that there's a structural Call the gun no i'm just kidding <laughs> i mean you're not wrong but i think the six the 60s was the last time that you it, it, that that's when you saw a kind of like collective management of individuals in the public eye that asserted itself so as to you know generally protect the kind of the the deeper pockets of you know without getting into like kind of all those kind of like um landmines of like words like deep state etc this idea that like there was just from the 60s until now is when you really saw that kind of like automation of and Mm -hmm. like you know the, the the filling of a role without the the, the rogue ability uh, of the person to exploit that power and even even do anything, but but Jonah the the, the way that you were touching on the kind of like Shakespearean, you know I mean obviously you've got kind of a similar story and then you can go all the way back like obviously Hamilton right you've got this like Bahami I think it was Bahamas or Bermuda um, kind of coming up under like parents that died young or and then and it's like what's so interesting about American politics to me is this idea that we have this dynasty fetish. We have this like celebrity fetish and it's kind of like a pattern that you see across comparative religions, cultures, et cetera, where, you know, we, we sort of like devour, like in, in the Christian tradition, you take communion, you eat your God. And like here we, we eat Britney Spears. We kill our celebrities. We eat our politicians alive. We eat, we, we it, it's like, it's like, there's nothing new under the sun. And yet there's this like larger structure that's taking whatever an individual can, can develop into. And as soon as you get to any level of scale, there's like uh, an example of this would be like, I worked on a musical that was started um, as like a really like, a, like they performed these two writers performed in living rooms and this slowly the idea developed and they had a lot of talented friends and the musical got more and more like, kind of headwinds and then it got money behind it and then it ends up in like a a decent theater and then we're at harvard and then there's this harvard money and then there's like these producers and suddenly the narrative is shaping the the storyline and Mm. the show completely changed between where it started and where it ended on broadway really so so they actually changed like like the songs and the plot of this, of this musical in response to it's, it's kind of growth through these different levels because it was such a attractive show 
And yeah. you can see this with Hamilton too. It was like suddenly like all the cast is like out there with politicians and it's like, Oh weird how everyone agrees with these politicians politicians you know what i mean that's on this show because it's like but but before it gets there like it starts with these are these are this is a very key demographic for said party and it's going to move up the ranks and as it moves up the money comes in and the money comes in and that's like uh you know somebody whose parents work with such and such politician and, and like raise money for them and so like there's a conversation about like you know this character, does it have to be a female? Could it be a male? Could this relate or, or could this relationship be X or could be this? And suddenly the show is completely different. And I watched it go from being about one thing to being like something very, very different because money that was behind it. And once you reach scale, it's the same thing as what what you're saying, Jonah, which is like, it starts with an individual. And I think pre the sixties, that individual their psychology based on like their childhood, their, you know, like you look all your Nero, like you can go back to Rome. It's like these people that had like these personality complexes could take their day out on an entire empire. That's not possible now. <laughs> like right. now, right. now possibilities you know, are a little closed off in terms of, yeah. you know, and in a sense that's, a, you know, so, some could argue that that is good for democracy, that the executive is, is limited, but it's, but that's not, how our executives are limited really does fall more on the side of, you know, it's a term associated with conspiracies, but like the deep state referring to like the bureaucrats who, you know, so presidents come and go, but there are people who work in presumably the executive branch, which is anything in the state department, anything in the department of defense, et cetera. They stay all the time and they're the ones that keep everything running and so yeah. if a president wants to do something and this entire bureaucratic, which is huge, apparatus wants to resist it, um, they can and they can constrain that president. And this is all known. This is not controversial or conspiratorial. This is just like how our government is structured today. And yeah, uh-huh. in the time since the 60s, all of those bureaucracies have grown as well. And that doesn't help, you know, um, the situation in terms of like if if we wanted a um, some of those constraints to not be in, in place because that's what, what it really comes down to is while we might say that it's democratic to constrain an executive, the ways that our executive is truly constrained are undemocratic ways. They're, they're unelected people. They're, um, they're, you know, more or less permanent positions behind the scenes. Um, and, and also I think it's important to know, um, you know, the way you said that Charlie about the, um, you know, in the story about the musical, because it, it is it, so often it isn't like orders given. Like it's not, um, you know, we're, we're a little bit beyond like, say, a, um, a cocaine republic, you know, where someone sits you down and, and says like Plato o Plomo, you know, like I'll pay you or I'll kill you kind of thing. No, it's just a conversation. Like it's like no one has to command anybody to do anything, but like the, the, the right well-placed suggestion, like you said, like, you know, couldn't this be a man, you know, like coming from the right person in the right setting. And like, you, you know what it means. Like, it doesn't have to be in order. Like nobody has to like mail you a revised script. Like you just know what you're supposed to do. Well, you, in other words, there's always a carrot. So, um, it, if you want this money, then 
this and, and and if you want this scale then this and so the same thing is like artistically like i shy away from so many of the intentionally shying away from like for scale like like i could be i could be hemorrhaging videos on tiktok right now and just like you know like kind of flashing a good look and like pulling followers left and right pushing them to my spotify like like i could be trying to go for scale but it's like you build this castle on sand and then you are beholden to this this Mm. model of versus like krista tippett excuse me she has a on spirituality on npr yeah on being on being thank you um and great great interview one time i think it was in her book actually but it was like you make the most impact in the world in which you have proximity Mm -hmm. And, and it's like you go to the average wedding there's 150 people like you have a pod you have people that you can affect of course you want to do things at scale you want to you know but once you get in get in the water there you realize that there are there is inherited money running on 100 200 years of 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 implementing and, and 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 staging and and controlling and so it's like you can say deep state you can say whatever you want but simple fact is is if you do it in the world in which you have proximity, that's the world you live in. That's the world that's going to touch you back. I mean, the odds in your lifetime of you even being impacted by things that are so meta beyond that. We're one of the first, the, the last two years are the first time I've seen anything close to that with COVID. Before that, like nothing that happened in the national sphere really changed my day to day. Right. Whether it's the Iraq war or anything else. Right. I mean, read about it, you heard about it, but it didn't change a lot of people's day to day. No, you didn't get, you weren't going to get drafted. You know what I mean? Like it's, right. um, you know, you didn't, you didn't have buddies who were forced to go, uh, you know, to war. Like it's, it's not the same thing, you know? Well, it was different though, because like I, <clears throat> I wanted to enlist a lot of my friends enlisted and really? some of my friends died over there. And some of my mm-hmm. friends are missing legs and back now and i was color, i'm colorblind so i couldn't do the jobs i wanted to do in the military oh, wow. so, so i i walked right out of the recruitment office but post 9 yeah. 11 i was like sign me up yeah yeah a lot of you, people did that yep you don't get drafted but you get shown something on the news that's like it's time it's time <laughs> well, to go and, and you know they did um if they wanted to maintain such illusions they did really fuck it up with the war on terror and the way that it dragged on and the way it became obviously so senseless well before it ended right but there was that moment right where people of our generation um post 9/11 had this like moment of opportunity where it was like if I'm looking for meaning in society, you know, which seems mostly absent, like say throughout the eighties and nineties, right? Like we were attacked, you know, and like now, like we, we can fight for something bigger than ourselves, which I think everybody craves to a certain degree. Um, and that was an opening in society. Now, like I said, like, I think that everyone is a little bit more cynical about like the military and about America's military adventures post all of this, because it was so, poorly executed and it went on for so long and it was so utterly pointless, you know, um, well, I didn't say it's 2020, but I mean, there were like how many guys that, that hijacked those planes, maybe like uh, 18 guys. What we needed was a seal team to go out and find their bosses, X them out and then call it a day. And, you know, it's everybody like right now can, you can point at the, like the left as being the, like kind of like, um, 
infracting on a lot of civil liberties for policy. But like you look post 9-11 and it was all right wing that was like trying to go in and like, you know, this this whole Patriot Act and everything that was that was all your that was all your post 9-11 reactionary nationalist energy that was just like foregoing liberty for for a cause. And so you see that that passes like a hot potato based on fear. And, you know, I just I just think that it's it's not a partisan issue. It's just. We it, so we didn't blow it. We weren't attacked. Like an idea was attacked. Oh and yeah, I, no, sure, yeah. I wasn't personally attacked. Like I'm, no. I'm a, you know, Greek immigrant family. Like we didn't. Greece is the only European nation that didn't participate in the slave trade. Yeah, o- only Zoe in this room is like Mayflower descended. You know? No, not me. Oh, you don't? I thought you had Mayflower no, people. No, her is my kids oh. are, but not me. Oh. Not for me. All right. So you're you're uh, Mayflower. Uh, Jason, yeah, Sorry, but still, but but how, how? What year did your ancestors come over, though? Well, yeah, oh, long, long, long ago. I have to yeah. go back like six generations to get, yeah, to find immigrants on like any of my family trees. So not not the famous ship, but yeah, I mean, like I don't know about you, Charlie, but like I like no one that I'm related to was here before, like around like 1908, 1910, around that time. It's weird because my family identifies like we're we're so Greek, like it's just Greek, Greek, Greek. But te- Greek. technically, on my grandmother's side, um, they're cult. And if you look up the history of the Gettysburg, the Battle of Gettysburg, the way that tide shifted was because the Union was able to set up camp on Culp's Hill, which was my like whatever great 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 grandfather's hill. Uh, and he was a southerner, like he's right, right in between, but he was like, uh, I'm gonna let the union camp out here. And they flanked the, the Confederates from Culp's Hill and turned the tide of the Gettysburg battle. So wow. in a lot of ways, yeah, Culp, if you look up Culp's Hill, that's my great, that's whatever grandfather's property that like, so. So they were here a long time ago. Yeah. So they got that going. There's like a little, there's like a thread of 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 old school interesting um but yeah it's otherwise it's like yeah off the boat you know two generations ago yeah you know yeah yeah i didn't speak english when the truant officer came around and was looking for the kid that wasn't in school she's like my husband home later (laughs) that's all she could say uh so so i don't know it's it's both but how we got on this i have no idea i mean the poor people watching this yeah, There's no, they love it though. And it's, it's, somehow. It's, it's cool. But no, I mean, I think your overall point though is that like it's like not only were we attacked were we not attacked, but then people like us were part of the response which attacked the wrong places, right? And like you said, like, yeah, like a SEAL team or whatever, it's like, yeah, you can look at it that way. But you know, I'm also reminded of a uh, a quote from the wire and like, you know, I don't want to get uh you know, you know, these are people that like you apparently can't criticize, but like, uh, you know, you follow drugs, you get drug addicts and drug dealers, but you start to follow the money. Uh, you don't know where the fuck it's going to take you, you know? And like, that's, that's nine 11 in a nutshell. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you can follow the fundamentalists back to Pakistan and Afghanistan if you want, you know, like, or, you know, you can pinpoint those Royal oil family members who, 
financed it because destabilization is good for uh, oil profits and their geopolitical position and, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, you know, but we don't, we don't talk about that, you know, and, um, you know, as you said, it led to um, an erosion of liberties for both a stated purpose and a real purpose that, that were not really very sensical in any way. And um, as you mentioned, it's not, it's not party related and it, and it truly isn't because neither party wants to give back the liberties. I mean, used to be controversial. I mean, I mean, Jonah, you were very small, but like, does anybody remember when the Patriot Act like passed? And like, yeah, it was like unanimous in the legislature, but a lot of people were pissed off. Like librarians were pissed off. Like people were fucking yeah. mad about so, the Patriot Act. I'll be, I'll like lay it out here. My dad was a small town cop who like listened to conservative radio and he like walked into the local library and saw like a person with like a hijab, like on the internet. It was kind of like, hey, what are they looking at? And the librarian was like, the hell you're going to find out. Now, it's, it's amazing. Like, he's obviously, you know, it's 20 odd years he's grown up. Like, my wife is a, a librarian, and like, we understand that this is the last place that you can go and get information privately and for free. Like, mm-hmm. everything else is not. So, this is like the most important thing ever. But the Patriot Act, which is like now being leveraged, and every year that budget gets approved, is now being leveraged to then like allocate Americans as, as domestic terrorists, you know what I mean? And it's like suddenly the same thing that was implemented by one side is now being leveraged against it. It's like, you can just watch this thing get passed back and forth every 20 years. And, and so the, the bottom line, the takeaway is, 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 is like, for me right now, it's, it's just about not, um, I, I, I just, I, I have spent time, with my family in the in the like my gun-toting Republican family, and then I've also woken up in Hell's Kitchen next to a trans person in bed who was like, "Hey, it's time for church." Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just I'm getting such a trip, uh, such a trip. Like, like this ride of just playing music and just like hanging out with different people, and I just think it's it's wild. Like, living long enough to see, watch watch how parties in control do the same shit to each other. And you just you just get disenfranchised. You just kind of get a little. You just want to go back and watch Mickey's Christmas Carol, <laughs> you know, and like clock out. I can't. I can't with it all. I will just say though. I mean, I, a, you make good points. I, I, it's we're in such a tough situation globally. I, you keep saying both sides. I think it's it's important. I mean, you, but you also said follow the money. I mean, if you followed the money. It sort of represents there being one side. There's, uh, forget who, I can't quote a person, but there's one side and it's the business party. And uh, they work of, by, and for business. Dick Cheney was the CEO of Halliburton right before he was vice president and then gave, gave Halliburton a no-bid contract to clean up the oil and uh, the war in in Iraq. So, I mean, these, we were in a really precarious situation and we have been since the eighties. I mean, you say the eighties movies were depressing. I think they were reflective of the times actually, because as uh, often is exactly, exactly. Um, because we were moving into an empire. Reagan had us moving into, uh, 
away from a country which the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution lays out as, as one for freedom and liberty, um, aiming to be one which has those principles for every person, and instead uh, using those words like doublespeak, as has been written about in a number of sci-fi and dystopian books, um, to manipulate people into agreeing with uh, an empire and, and saying, oh, protect our democracy. What does that mean? We, the United States of America has been disenfranchising voters since its foundation. We have not had a democracy in the United States ever. So, I mean, we have to understand that these people are using doublespeak and that it's, it's a transition into empire in that, you know, I, I, I consider myself an independent Democrat. I, I, you know, it's, you have to be separate from this two-party system and this transition into empire because there has to be someone standing for liberty because it's not just the Patriot Act. I mean, the Patriot Act was uh, almost 20 years ago at this part, you know, almost over 20 years ago at this point. It's been a lot more policies 20 years later. Uh, in 2001, September 10th, 2001, Donald Rumsfeld gets on uh, the Pentagon press conference and announces that the Pentagon can account for $2.3 trillion. That just happened again. The Pentagon had to do its its audit and and it could only account for thirty percent of its assets. So when we, we 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 like the country and and our tax dollars are being spent on the most brutal regime, arguably that has been seen in in a long time in a long time. And uh, uh, the United States, as it once was, talking about Nixon, talking about Christmas and traditions. Um, is no longer, I think, as, as, as hard of a fact as that is. And it's, it's easy to, uh, like, just not to look away. And I think that's what people have been doing for the last 20 years. But I think we have an interesting opportunity in these last couple of years and in this moment right now to get people to, to focus on it and finally be able to bring it back to a situation where we can have community. Uh, and to bring it back to Christmas, I think that that can restore sort of a sense of uh, uh, joy amongst people and, and community and, and a real sense of, of purpose. You know, I think the Lantern Festival, I think, is a phenomenal example of that. People still want to come together and are fundamentally good. It takes all of us, I think, being willing to be a little bit radical and speak up against a government which is, is doing what can only be characterized as evil things constantly and totally, but while also standing in, in community, I, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, well, yeah. And sometimes, sometimes the best way, you know, cause you know, I, I've done uh, a fair amount of like loudly speaking against the government in my time, you know, and um, it, it is, it is a thing that people should do. Um, but, you know, whereas, you know, say going back, 
even even to the you know those those heady heady Bush administration days um, that we we do often reflect back on on this program even, um, but uh, you know I was out there um, you know in Boston like you know the the I mean Christ we had protests like several months before the war was even announced because Bush was kind of clear that like we're doing this guys you know and then we're protesting like in March you know like when they actually like passed the resolution or whatever and like you know then it all starts and all stuff. And like, you know, what happened because of that? Like nothing, you know, no, they just, hold on though. Cause that's not no, where, 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 where I'm going with that though, is, is what Charlie referenced earlier from um, our friend um, Krista Tippett about how, you know, maybe the way to build the world in which we don't have a government that is going to, um, you know, bomb everybody and things like that is through the things that we can do um, with the people around us, you know? And, um, that's um you know i'm not saying that we put acid in the water supply and that fixes everything but like i mean it it would help but um the um you know it's um i really do think it comes down to like um shared values among people and like an orientation towards like a certain way of life and like it's not something that can change in a single generation um but you know, I, I just have come to believe after many years of activism and, and, and everything else that, um, you know, as, as, as Charlie pointed out, there's all these big stories, you know, and like we can't necessarily stop the war and we can't necessarily stop this and that. Um, and we can try and we can speak out and we should, but that maybe the real way to fight back is in like the way that we live in like the things that we promote and like the ways that we have a community orient towards one another um and and the ways that we do that can make channels for like the grace and love to come into the world like in the song exactly do you think um so for instance like with like i'm 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 coming from like a performance art perspective so like what i'm doing at my studio space right now is i'm working on something like a musical where um my friend Sean and I were talking about this idea of like reducible experience, right? So like, you know, you have a hashtag that can be co-opted. Like every time something catches fire, it's in, it, it, the seed of its demise is within it, right? Mm-hmm. So um, th- there's a very quick way to kind of like flip that narrative and make it saleable as uh, something you attack. So like if you're successful on like say TikTok, it's like there's people could get more views making a response video where they tear your video apart, right? And so you you don't get that down here in the world in which you have proximity. And yet where you can still catch a fire is if you're generous with your model. So say, for instance, like what I'm trying to do is like, you, you can take a guitar and get in the van and like drive around the country. You can try to sing your stupid songs and get everyone to like them and like dump a bunch of gas, play to nobody in Buffalo or like figure it out. Um, I have a space where I think is I can have all of my equipment set up. I can invite a handful of people and I can present a show that is in a spot and it doesn't go beyond that. But the idea itself of reaching your community now I'm not trying to bite someone's style in, say, Arkansas, who actually knows their neighbors and could tell their story better than I could. 
So my desire for scale would be to like work the algorithm, blow up on like social media, push a Spotify, get these numbers, and then go on tour and get everybody in all these different places to come out and just see me versus could I live and live humbly if I had like a thousand fans? And it's like, so we, when we go out to dinner, we want farm to table. We want like, like I want the chef to like make me something from like Sunnyfield farm or something. Right. I want like, I don't want a 3000 mile Caesar salad, but like in politics, in policy, in art, in all these things, it's like all for scale. It's all like we aim over the heads of the people right in front of us and at some like vague, you know, uh, data point of people that could be a niche, but we still don't have access to them. And so again, it's like this musical takes off. It's a grassroots movement. It's raising money to educate children in Uganda. And it's telling a story of a couple who fall in love in this process. Um, suddenly is now like swept up into an American protest narrative. Um, and, and, and woven into all these other like current and like current events issues and, and, and it's lost its luster. And so, you know, where the, where the, I think the, the rubber meets the road, at least for me right now is kill it in your community. And then like whatever works, share that and let other people take the idea and do it where they got to do it. And then just watch these little bastions pop up. Like I like, I like the idea that if I go to like Vermont or upstate New York, I'll meet different people doing it differently and not just like find another five below, you know, Michael's strip mall where like all the signs are the same and there's a subway, you know what I mean? It's like this, this is just not the model. Like we got to change the, change the, change the game. Um, and I have, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I agree with that. Absolutely. I, I think we do have to be in community and focusing locally. Um, why I ran for the state house is, you know, I'm, I, I think it's very important to be hyper-focused on the localities and doing all the work there. What I would add is that I think we have to pay attention to the national level. And I think that might be uh, something we've lost. Um, I think if people paid attention to the national level in the last two years, they would have been aware that the progressive caucus had enough people to leverage some uh, support for Medicare for all or uh, whatever it may be, whatever policy you may want that the progressive caucus had leverage. And because people weren't out saying, we need you to do this, we need you to do this fighting as though the, as they were in the depression, as they were uh, throughout American history, um, the politicians in Congress didn't have uh, the gusto or the courage to be able to do it or, or the backing from the outside. Um, and I think even now in December, when we had the rail strike vote, where Congress voted to end the rail strikes, it's not about uh, uh, passing that necessarily, but uh, in coordination with other people, the Progressive Caucus could have started a rail strike and, and actually uh, had real power. Um, I think the what we've the model that we've had in in terms of organizing over the last 20 years clearly hasn't worked and we do have to do some sort of shock to the system i'm i'm and if people were paying attention uh then they would have i think uh called on bernie sanders uh and and the progressive caucus to take action on the rail strike workers would have been striking on the rails the economy would have been stopped 
other workers would have started striking. I, I know, Chris, you might disagree with this, but I think, no, and I, no, I, I, yeah, I, think I, I, I don't think that's a realistic scenario. But no, but I think, to that point, though, I think that the rail strike's a great example because it does speak to how people consume these stories, though, even even on the progressive side, right? Because to me, the main reason why the progressive caucus and why Bernie and whoever didn't face actionable pressure, right, to like to to move in a certain way or to you know decide with the workers who had rejected the contract, right? Um, is, is because people aren't basing like what they want around things like ideals or like core values and things like that. So instead of saying, I believe in the rank, the rank and file worker and whatever they want. And I think that the representatives in Congress should stand up for whatever the hell they want. Right. Um, instead of that, it was, let's wait to see what they do and then make excuses for it because there are people, you know, which is why you saw things like, yeah, yes, AOC voted that way, but it was strategic. And like this random union guy in New York over here told her she should do it. And like all of these reasons that people like believe um, somehow, but you, you know, always would have had that if they had done it either way. I, I personally think, I mean, you got 160 million people living here in poverty. I mean, I, I hear my mom and her frustration I mean, people are uh, have some serious and deep seated anger, and I think if there was a spectacle like a, a, a rail strike, and people would engage with that, whether or not it would be a total general strike, and that you get every worker in the economy to strike. No, I, I don't no, think that's sure. maybe it could. Maybe it could. In history, I don't think that's ever happened before in history. But you would have the rail workers striking, and you would have millions of others. Uh, millions of other people joining with them, it would be uh, the largest protest movement since 2020, which I think was the largest protest movement in the, in the history of the country. So uh, this, I, I, that's the moment we're in as, as a country. Uh, that's what people want, I think. And if uh, uh, we are to actually get into a situation where we can have community, uh, free speech and liberty, then we're going to have to be willing, I think, to do something on that level. Obviously, it's only on that level from a macro level. Uh, when you get into the minutia of it, it, it is still the localities and people acting locally, but it's uh, f for the larger goal of, of getting us freedom, liberty, and justice for all. Um, you know, th they were doing it in the 60s. Uh, they were very close to, to marching on Washington. I think it's possible again. And it's just about finding that moment uh, strategically that will, will get people involved and engaged. And um, there's a couple of examples. I just gave them uh, the example of when this last Congress started, uh, and then the rail strike example. Um, but I, there's more, and I could go go much further into it. Um, but it optimism. Can I can I add here though? Uh -huh. And and this is almost this is a question, but it comes in the form of agreeing and then tying in what we just said, which is so Obamacare, like brilliant. We need this, right? Started the 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 model for that was Romney Care. Okay, so it's not an exclusively progressive idea. I mean, it's like this idea that healthcare could work. When I lived in Boston under under Romney, I, my wife and I had health insurance for free. It was brilliant. And okay, actually, pre it's funny fact like pre Obamacare, Mass Care was 
better. Like it was actually pretty awesome. Like and the whole Romney system was pretty Rom- great. Romney that pushed it through. But like beyond that, right, where we go is this like um, it, it makes so much sense. Why didn't it work? Why doesn't it work? But yet what you're seeing in healthcare is there is at some point post Obamacare, the government realizes just how expensive this is. And then these corporations come in and they say, okay, we have a solution. Subscriber-based uh, healthcare. It's like treatment-based. It's like gene therapy. It's like the, fu- the future mindset. If, if you log on to social media and you spend time scrolling for a while, you can start getting ads for applications that want to treat your ADD. Now, why would anybody start an application to treat something that you're, that most people's healthcare would cover for free? It's subscriber-based healthcare. It's data gathering, and it's the, the 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 problem is is the government is in competition with for-profit companies that have massive data mines on your biometrics, based on your Apple Watch, based on your Fitbit, based on the fact that now uh, a third party is getting the preschoolers' healthcare information and putting it into a database for sale because. The, the, the school just has to sub that out. And what we're seeing is, is um, there, there's a, the future of healthcare is merging away from treating the patient to treating the ailment to now treating the prospective ailment by getting an, uh, a, a, a breakdown of, your, of, your, of your, your health history and then your future health and saying like, hey, we're going to work on treating this with X because we know you know you have uh, Parkinson's runs in your family or you know you have the gene for Huntington's or something and so I, I think what the problem is Jonah is that your base right now it's not that people don't want this they do want this we wanted Bernie Sanders but Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Hillary Clinton completely port that situation and the DNC is not accountable to that and the rest of us are still left wondering what's going to happen. And then you go on social media, which is like mostly where, and and like in the and watch the news. And that's where people get what directs their behavior. So it isn't that like people just aren't willing to get behind it. It's like, it's that we're like the people that I, I face, I play in so many different towns, like rural broke ass towns. I play in the bars. I meet the people who are paying, not paying child support, the people who need child support, the people who need housing, the people who, you know, are can't meet their he- heating bill, et cetera. Like I, I, I'm like campaigning 24 seven because I play all over the state in like some of the worst parts of it. And what I'm seeing is people that, that just, they, they can't, they can't find their way to, to staying on, on a subject because they're, they're just underwater financially and then they log online and there's a narrative that's being pushed at them. Yeah. And, and that's what I was trying to get at before. I, I think that that's an impediment. And I think that that's a, a big thing that's lacking in terms of a foundation that people have in their ability to look at narratives locally or nationally and make sense of them because they require calories. A, a, preconceived narrative for them. Like people don't want, so it's like, so what I would say is that like, even if people, even if that, that type of mindset could be used to direct people towards supporting workers in a rail strike, because it's based on such shaky foundations, it could then be used to take those same people and move them away from it. You know, it's an easy thing to do. Like, it's like, even, 
Um, I think going back a few years, um, not going to say what setting in town I was in, but I was in a setting I was in pretty regularly and, uh, you know, f- filled with a lot of liberals, you know, and, and they would ask me, like, what news source do I read that I get, like, my understanding of things from? And, and what they wanted was, like, uh, um, you know, is it, like... Um, Vox, you know, like they, they wanted like a, a particular, you know, liberal source that, that they could reliably check that would just sort of tell them what to think, you know, and I'd be like, I, I can't tell you that. Like, I mean, I get my news from like the New York Times, like from I read like The Economist, like you read all of these things. And I also know that like the New York Times is also going to give me propaganda from the um U.S. empire, basically, from, like, the empire side of things, you know, and the economist is written from the perspective of, like, very enthusiastic capitalists, right, and all of these things, but because I have this, like, base understanding of the world coupled with values that I have, I can read any news story from any source and interpret it, you know, and understand and, like, you know, but like that's lacking, you know, and that's a problem because people don't pe- people don't even know that they're missing that. We'll look at it in music, right? So if you learn the major scale, it's all across the, the, the spectrum, right? It's chromatic. If you learn it in modes, modes are there's like seven modes. There's seven perspectives, these different modalities on the same thing. And all it means is that you start from one or you start from two and end on two or you start from three. If you understand music theory and you've got the time like a Chris, that's great. You know, like you can know, okay, I'm, I'm, well, of course this sounds sad because I'm in Phrygian, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 People, they just like, they're just trying to get their ass out of the mire. You know, they're at CVS. They're just trying to pay for some shit. They can't figure out the auto. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like, I'm just giving, but like, uh, I just, I, I love, I love where your head's at and I'm, I'm in support of it. I just, my, my question, my, and, and it's it's a rhetorical because I don't expect you to have the answer is we're all up against this right now is is that the base that you're representing the people that that you're that you're trying to take from from being to 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 to, to direct towards their own benefit you're up against all of this noise from from people who have tons of data and and the government is still swinging floppy disks around. And I'm just, I just wonder, and I, I wonder so much that I just think that, that my job as an artist um, and to stay out of the political scheme is like, my job is to get people in a room, take their phones away, put it in a box, make them pay cash, have them like, like message me via PO box. You know what I mean? Just like bring them all into the room and just be like, okay, these hundred people are going to check in with each other and just have like an emotional human connection once a week. And that's the best I can do in this time. That's the most I can contribute. I'd love it if you came and talked, you know what I mean? But like, I just, I, I don't know how the hell an American politician can work against what it is that is like the supercomputer of any of these platforms at this point. And there well, there's a lot there, but I, I, but there's a lot. There. But the quick answer would be, Bernie Sanders is an independent senator. He's been one for a number of years now. He has, uh, he's one of the 50 most powerful government, 
officials in the world, a um, hundred most powerful government officials in the world. Um, although 50 works because he's a part of the majority party right now. Uh, and he has the power to, you know, I, what I'm saying, I'm not offloading the uh, blame onto the voter. I don't, I, of course, everyone is um, overwhelmed with information and the world is quite depressing right now and it's hard to, to focus. But if we had someone at the national level, like a Bernie Sanders, or just do a blank name, people have their opinions about Bernie, but do a blank name, a, a senator who was independent and had the courage to do it, then well, we would actually have, just like we did in the 60s, a movement to change things. It wouldn't just be people having an emotional connection uh, in a room, which I think is very important and needed, but it would be an organized and coherent movement to get something done. Of course, it's on shaky foundation. I think any social or political or economic movement is and is going to be. Uh, the shaky foundation is the fact that we've got 160 million people with less wealth than 1% of this country. Uh, that is shaky foundation. I mean, we're working with chaos here. There's no way that we're going to educate uh, 160 million people into being uh, good organizers or, or politicians. Well, or I didn't mean to suggest that. No, no, no. no. I don't think you yeah. are, but a lot of people do. Yeah. And and I'm, what I'm point I'm making is that we can we can spectacle matters in America. And uh, you know we we mentioned it before. I think both Charlie and you, Chris, mentioned it. Um, America is a celebrity culture, and I think we and, and we idolize people, and we, we love spectacle. Um, so, if we're talking, if the conversation is how do we get out of an empire, I would say the answer to that is we use the spectacle and the American uh, culture to our advantage, and have someone like Bernie Sanders go out there and start speaking courageously to this fact. I think what. My, I mean, I think what's missing and what my point is in this whole thing is that we need someone out there who is guiding the 160 million people who are in poverty or at least a million of those people to, to, to say, uh, guiding them in the, in the direction of not, oh, I'm, I'm in poverty and it's so terrible and it's never going to change, but instead we can work together and build community in this movement and actually change something. I mean, uh, it's 10 something o'clock. I'm, I'm 19 years old. I don't have all the answers, but there are people out there right now in the world who are speaking much more eloquently to this exact strategy that I'm talking about. And I don't think so. you know, this is not my idea. Um, and, and what, I'd rather vote. I'd rather hear you because I supported. Yeah, Bernie. I was gonna say I think you speak voted, better than they do. I voted for Bernie, and here's what's the problem: is I play in Vermont, and Springfield is a fucking hellhole. Uh, so is a country Vermont is, you know, like even worse than New Hampshire. Bernie Sanders is not not you. You're way way ahead, right? Okay, so I don't give a damn about the emails. Um, and the rollover and die on the Debbie Wasserman Schultz lampoon, or the like. That guy is done. He is dead. Bernie, Bernie, and the problem, and, and we could we could do a whole episode on this, but like the problem there is that Bernie, like our our proverbial musical that we keep going back to, has had to has had to. That's why I said. That's why I stopped myself and said blank name because. Like, uh, 
obviously Bernie has his obviously Bernie has his story but I know and listen he, he I, did. I think the also, the also reality is that if we had if we had a if we had the the left media people, if we had people pressuring uh, the left media sources and and the Twitter left that's out there to say, Bernie, you got to do this, you got to get it done. The Yemen vote is the perfect example. He just kowtowed to the administration on the Yemen vote and decided not to stop that resolution. That wouldn't happen if there was. A number of people. If he was truly accountable, yes. If he was truly yeah, accountable, no, and not just well, not just Bernie has his problems. I'm a Bernie fan right now, but I'm saying. Yeah, the, I hear you. Uh, you don't answer. The it answer. would require like not just like loud someone. people though, but like it, they would have to have the power to unelect him. You know what I mean? They, they, like there, it has to be accountability. Like not in the sense that like you're going to face some angry people, but like you're going to get tossed out of office, you know, and that's the problem in say the U S Senate is that once you get there, you can usually stay, you know? And the thing with Bernie is that like, regardless of like what he, you know, what policy, like what votes he's had or like whether we can say, cause I don't, I don't really think he has any like major actual accomplishments or whatever, but that aside, the two things that he could have done that um, would have been the biggest threat to like the status quo would have been a, truly builds a movement behind him, like a lasting movement, which he never did. Like even like, um, frankly, similar to Obama, like the, the mailing lists that were created during the campaigns were basically like packaged and sold off into nonprofit groups that were, you know, DNC front orgs. Right. Um, but number two, but failing that, if he couldn't form a movement, like at least grooming a, a class of successors underneath him to, to, to carry it on, you know, and he, he truly declined to do either one, like never really did that much. Well, but yeah, Chris, what do you think about this though? So my, I have a friend who, I mean like the Kanye thing right now is a good example. So as this whole like spectacle, this whole theater of like the red versus blue, like sporting event of politics unfolds, you have what we would call controlled opposition. So Bernie Sanders was a great, like, kind of valve for them to take all the Bernie bros and all of us, all of us naive folk that were, like, showing up to these rallies and droves and getting no news coverage. And then suddenly, always knowing that this person was just going to, like, pull the lever when it was time and Hillary was going to waltz right in and they were just going to push their base behind her. And it's like... I hate to be so cynical, but with the way how everything is is so scripted to the point where it feels like it's 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 a movie, and when you really do see that it's twenty year old inherited wealth, like one of the producers for our show, he has a monthly allowance of two and a half million dollars. That's his allowance. You better be careful if it's your show. You don't know. No, no, I'm not on it anymore. I can talk freely. <laughs> I'm not on it anymore because I had to re audition. Um, that's a whole other story. I won't even get into that, but there's a, there's a word for what you're talking about though. That's that's sheepdogging. Um, no, but that is true. Sheepdogging is real. Absolutely. But I, 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 I often, people have heard me on the show. If you've heard me call Jonah a sheepdog, that's, I, I don't truly think he is, but that's, that's where the joke comes from. Not it? yet at least. No, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give him time. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> but, but you can say that back if it ever does actually happen. But uh, no, I, 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 the sheepdogging absolutely happens. 
Barack Obama was a sheepdog, 100%. Hmm. Bernie Sanders, but this is why I say people have to, have to, have to pay attention. The national politics, however uh, hard it is for a lot of people, if you're interested in it, you have to pay attention because it's easy to get cynical and, and think of Bernie Sanders as a sheepdog. But if you, and obviously this is not paying attention, but if you were a political nerd and you read all the books behind the scenes of what happened in the primary, written by the staffers on both sides, Hillary and, and all these people, that, that was a real primary. I mean, Bernie thought yeah. he could, didn't think he could be president. He ran, he, he urged Elizabeth Warren to run for president, uh, in, early 2015 she declined uh and then he knowing that we were in this moment of seven new wars uh a recession where no no one got any benefit but the one percent etc 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 that we needed a progressive option that wasn't uh a continuation of the neoliberal regime via hillary clinton um he had to run for president he put together a ragtag team of the people he had been working with not of all of whom were on his side fully, um, mm -hmm. and yeah. who sort of had immediately went from 3% to 15 to 20 to 60%, sort of getting this national attention that he never, ever thought he was going to get sort of overwhelmed. And, and then what happens? You I mean, you're, you're, you're winning New Hampshire. Uh, are you tied in, in Iowa? Although there's some, uh, you know, you tied in Iowa, you, uh, you win in New Hampshire and you go on to uh, uh, lose in Nevada, but again, and South Carolina, and then you're, you're, you're you know, this, the momentum is building and you, you actually have a shot to become president of the United States and that realization starts to happen. In those moments, I mean, you got to make quick decisions. And I think it wasn't so much Bernie as a sheepdog and he was always going to kowtow and he was always going to be a coward. I think it's more... Um, American culture and American politics, and this is why I, I stopped myself in that initial answer, I, my Blake name, because Bernie Sanders is a bad example, because of this. Because American politics, it, it's so ingrained, the niceties of American politics when you're in the something like the Senate or the House of Representatives. I mean, these people are your colleagues. He has known Hillary Clinton since the 80s. So it's, it's you know, however, however much like what she's done and he knows what she's done he knows what she represent represents you've still known this woman since the 80s and it's hard for you to say okay and amidst the 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 coming storm of trump i mean the decision to run an independent campaign which is what he should have done and which is what actually would have built a movement uh is a tough one to make because of all of the factors so I, I, I think Bernie's a bad example, but it doesn't mean that we can't get a person up there. Bernie is a good, I think Bernie is a decent example because he represents a person who is not, he represents a politician who still has principles and values. I, I, I feel even with the concessions he's making right now, which I, I completely and totally disagree which with. Which he's always made. For the exactly. He's, exactly. he's always made these concessions. Like, look, I'm, I'm long past the point where like, I'm, I'm looking at these people and I am like passing moral judgment and saying like, if I was in his shoes, this is what I would do, you know, because like, I no longer, I, when I was younger, when I was your age, say, right, I, I would, would have had a much more stringent, like moral, um, 
you know, um, not code, but like just approach to these things where it's like, I would never do that and all this stuff. But like, no, I mean, the, the structure, the system, the, oh, I the, say I would never. You know, no. you, you can't totally always make those claims. And, and I've never believed that it was like some straight up conspiracy. The whole thing was scripted and that Bernie, I don't, I do not believe for the, just to be clear, you know, I do, I don't believe that. I do think it was an actual contest that, that played out. Um, but that we could see that, you know, the, the system, the system did its job. And at the end of the day, everyone did play their role in the system. And at the end of the day, what Bernie did was take a lot of people who probably wouldn't have voted that year. And they did pull the lever for Hillary, but we could go on about that. This is probably the best Christmas episode ever. Um, but we are, you know, way over time, almost at double time. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to invite, if you invite me on a podcast, you're bound to talk about politics. I know, I know. And that's okay. That's, you know, that's that we, I made these choices on purpose, you know, I knew what I was getting into. And, um, yeah, really quickly, not to, not to go on politics, but I just will say though, I mean, I, 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 I have a little bit more moral indignation. I think it's, it's needed. I mean, we, we have, I'm so, Reignite no, keep your, it. Yeah, no, keep it. I'm not. Oh, I'm not saying no, you shouldn't. Yeah, no, I'm not saying you shouldn't. Yeah. Chris, Chris not, this, this, this is. Can can I can I just really quickly? Yeah, yeah no, go ahead. The so to 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 make sure I understand what you're saying, Jonah, is just that like a hundred percent. Like like we all have to like do what we feel is important. And my, where I feel I'm, I'm useful is, is, is applying myself in a community where I'm also accountable. Like I'm a loose cannon. I don't belong in an international setting. I can't manage my language. Like I am, I do not belong in there, but I, I do respect what you're saying, which is that, yeah, he, it's, it's like a, the first map maker is the most inaccurate, you know, like like Bernie's kind of the Freud almost of like what you're trying to do right now, which is like you, you by hook or by crook, you want a national movement where people are willing to face down this 150, 160 million like yourself and myself who understand and grew up with family and poverty and are just not going to repeat this for another 50, 60 years and it needs to happen on a national level. And that's basically fundamentally the, 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 like the, the boil down, if I'm not mistaken. No, I don't, I don't, I, you got it right. And I, I, it's, you got to do what's best for you. And, and I think you should absolutely continue to, to do music and bring people together in those rooms. That is your role. And yours is, and, well, well, I don't know what mine is, so I won't, I won't characterize that, but I, but I'll say the role of the people in the United States Senate and uh, people who claim to be leaders is to stand up and have courage in a moment where, uh, uh so much, uh, moral wrong is going, is happening. Um, I agree. And they don't do that, you know, not until you make it well, there. Well, I, I they, this current crop doesn't, but there were people like Dennis Kucinich, uh, Mike like Ravel. Yeah, uh, yeah. There, there have been people, and, and there. this is why I get frustrated with the leftists today. I think we have just as much 
uh, amnesia as everyone else. And I think it's just the, we are truly, truly the United States of amnesia as I always, and I forget, always forget who, who's that, who's quote that. Well, is, I, I get frustrated with the enthusiasm for like the squad when like people like Dennis Kucinich wouldn't equivocate on some of these votes, you know no, what I mean? They would, they would have no, because he knows what he believes, you know? That, and, and that, to pr- that proves my point even further. Not so long ago. Yeah, not had, long ago. We not we had a number of people in the Congress who were willing to stand up and fight, uh, and we can get back to that pretty quickly. That's my point. <laughs> well, I like to see, and that's why we have you in office representing. And, and you know, you do what I can, though. But if you get up there and you don't do your homework and you don't watch Mickey's Christmas Carol, you got to watch Mickey's Christmas Carol. You're not on the same page. You're not representing me. You're not representing my family. So well, next, well, next year in 24, when I, if, I, if I run for re-election, you better ask me if I've watched Mickey's Christmas Carol. And if the answer is That'll no. That'll be in the debate. Not. That'll be in the, in the official Peterborough yeah. parlay. Yeah. It's going to be a screening of my screen. Good, good, good. To bring things full circle um, for our listeners, if anybody made it all the way into um, an hour and 51 minutes, if, if those dear folks, heroes among the town who are still um, still with us, you know, we, we started off talking about Christmas carols, and um, I'd like to end with one that we didn't talk about, actually. Uh, I'll uh, recite for you the last three verses of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, because I think it's a great message for anyone listening for our region, perhaps for our nation. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And that's our Christmas episode. And special thanks to our producer, Chad. Um, Chad of Studio117.net, who can take care of any of your sound needs and who makes this podcast sound so wonderful, both on audio and video, mixing our tracks together. He can do that for you. He's also got the premier dad rock cover band out there in the region, Down by 10. Look them up and book them before they are all covered for 2023 because it seems to be happening already and they'll be they'll be back in um in milford sometime soon i think and so we'll uh make sure to promote that but um thank you also to our wonderful guests um this has been a, I, I knew it i knew it from that moment at the lantern walk i'm like this is the christmas episode that we need um for 2022 and um actually like not not a lot of people seem to want our inside joke merch but like i just got this mug in the mail today and in fact i think i'm going to get one of these i won't have it for christmas but i'm going to get one of these for corinne and um and for eddie and for jess so like all of the and, and for zoe um my co-narrator um everyone who was a cast member in this wonderful production that we did at the night market, um, which is on video on Facebook for anybody who wants to see it, our, our own little Hallmark Christmas special. But now we've got, we've got mugs. Um, we've also got t-shirts and all kinds of other stuff. Um, so check that out. But seriously, um, peace on earth, 
goodwill to men. Until we meet again, um, maybe once before the new year, maybe we'll put something out after the new year. Who knows? We'll see. Until that time comes, though, please take good advice. We'll see you next time.